One of the wonderful things about the Bible is that it is more than just a record of historical events. Each and every event recorded has been put there by the Lord that we, through the comfort of the Scriptures, might find hope. And so it's here for a reason. God was not just trying to, you know, fill up space and so forth, but Every story is designed for our good that it will benefit us. And so I want to trace this story, and then we're going to make an application to our situation. But let's begin with the problem. And that's found in chapter 6, and we begin our reading in verse number 24. I wish I had time to go back and reiterate uh, where we are and what has preceded this, but... Perhaps you will remember that. Verse 24, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung was five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barnyard or out of the wine presses? Question mark. The king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, this woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. Now, when we think about the problem, it's actually twofold. Number one, they are shut up. And by that I mean they are surrounded by a powerful enemy. The Syrian army has surrounded them. They are determined, no doubt, to destroy them. I mean, the very intent of all of it is the destruction of Israel. And, you know, they're not there just playing games. They're there on a on a mission, and so here they are in their own homes, in their capital, in their city, they're in Samaria, and yet they are prisoners in their own home. Now, that's a terrible situation to be in, and I don't have time to make an application, but let me tell you, that can happen to a nation. We can find ourselves to the place to where we become prisoners to our own government, as it were. Don't ever think that cannot happen, that we lose our freedom, not to some foreign hostile power, but rather to the very controlling factors right here in America. I, I, I've never been able to forget what Khrushchev said many years ago, we will bury you so gently you won't even know you're dead. Now, he didn't do it, but I'll tell you, there is a movement to do that very thing. Now, I've got to get off of that. 
But this is an awful situation to be in. Here they are, prisoners in their own homes. They can't go out and enjoy the beauties of creation. They're not able to travel abroad. I mean, they're locked up, as it were, in the city. But not only are they shut in, they're starving. And I mean, this is a horrible picture. There is a shortage of food that is so severe that some of them have resorted to cannibalism. Here's an entire city facing the prospect of death, and there didn't seem to be anyone that could help. And can you imagine how they must have felt? I mean, you put yourself in their place, and they're so hungry. And I just can't, you know, fathom this in my mind that someone could literally eat the flesh of their own children. Now, you know, I think about us, and, and I think I can safely conclude none of us would ever do that. We would, we would die of starvation before we would ever even think about doing something like that. But again, you've got to remember that when people leave God out of their life, there is no limit to the depths that they will go to get what they want, even if it's food. Now, I'm telling you, we might think here in America that we've got a handle on all of this race issue and what have you. You let me tell you something. The very minute, and I'm not pointing a finger at any particular race of people or anything like that. I'm just telling you the facts. The very minute that certain people do not get what they want when they want it, there will be rioting in the streets and burning down of buildings and looting and murder and all of that nonsense. Listen, that's what happens to a society when we leave God out of the picture. No limits to the depths. Romans chapter 1 makes that perfectly clear. And Paul, writing about the last days, says, In the last days men will be lovers of their own selves, and they'll be without natural affection. Natural affection. I mean, you know, it's just normal for parents to love their children. That's normal. It's just something that God put within us, that, that instinct, if I can use that word, that, that desire to provide for your children and protect your children. But when people leave God out of their life, they finally reach a point they don't even care about that. And obviously, that's where some of these people are at. And here's two women having, a, having an argument because yesterday they ate the, the one woman's child, and today they're supposed to eat the other, and, uh, and, and she won't let it happen. I just can't imagine facing a problem like that. But this problem is typical of sinners. I mean, you just read this, and it's easy to see a parallel here between these people and folks that are unsaved. I mean, everybody is included in this. All are under the sentence of death. In other words, they're facing the prospect of death, at least, and nobody seemed to be able to help. I mean, this one woman is crying out to the king. Now, here's the fellow with all of the power, all of the authority, and, and notice what he said there in verse number 29, I believe it is. No, verse number 27. If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? In other words, if God doesn't intervene, if God doesn't do something, how do you expect me to do anything? Well, you're the king. You have authority. You have all of this power. Can't you do anything? Now listen, if any human being could have done something, the king 
could have got something done. But he realized that he could not help. And folks, we face problems today that only God can solve. And we've got to understand that. Man is totally unable to meet our deepest needs today. And so this is what's, this is what's going on. Now, look at chapter 7. And here, having seen the problem, I want you to notice the provision. Then Elisha said, aren't you glad that as bad as things were that God has a messenger on the scene? Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shackle and two measures of barley for a shackle and the, in, in the gate of Samaria. This is the business place, the marketplace, if you please. This is where transactions were made. And then a Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. This is where the story really gets interesting to me. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and even the camp as it was and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and remnant and went and hid it, and came again, and entered into another tent, and carried thence also, and went and hid it. What a discovery these fellows made. Now, there's four lepers, and you would think of all of the people that there is no prospect for bright hopes among them. I mean, they're on their way out. These are dying men. Starving to death. Bad enough to have leprosy, but it's worse when you got leprosy and you don't have anything to eat. And that's where they are. And yet, in all of this, you'll notice that God provided. Now, there's two things about the provision. Number one, it was predicted by Elisha, the man of God. And you see that in verse number one. And I mean, this prediction is so impossible, it seems, that that it met with denial in verse number 2. I mean, it's like, you know, 
Elisha is saying everything's going to be all right. There'll be plenty of food tomorrow. And this next fellow says, you know, he says, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? In other words, this is impossible. There's no way that this can happen. And there are a lot of times as we face our problems and trials, it seems to us that there's no way out of it. There's no solution to the problem. Have you been there? Most of us have. And if you haven't, someday you will get to that place in life where you're facing a problem. I'm talking about a desperate problem. I'm talking about a great need, and and, and you won't be able to do anything about it, and it will seem even that the heavens are brass, and even God's not going to respond to your need. That's why I keep reminding people to take it one day at a time. That's why I keep handing out that little poem, and I keep that poem framed, in fact, there in my office all of the time, and try to remind ourselves one day at a time, folks. We've got to learn to live that way. The Bible teaches us to live that way. Give us this day our daily bread. No mention of giving us our supply for the next 30 days or the next year or anything like that. Just this day. Sometimes we think to ourselves, I'll never make it through this day. But some way or another we do. So Elisha says, as horrible as it is, tomorrow there's going to be plenty of food to eat. The merchants will be out selling and so forth, and you'll be able to stock up the cupboard, put food on the table for your children, and this fellow says, it's just not going to happen. Just impossible. Well, let's face it. Sometimes God's promises do seem impossible, and with man they are impossible. You know, the Bible says He's given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And I mean, some of the promises just stagger your imagination, and, and yet God brings it about. So it's predicted by Elijah, but it's provided by the Lord. And notice the supernatural way in which all of this happens. Here's the Syrians out there. I mean, they are encamped round about the Israelites. They seem to have things well under control. And all of a sudden, they hear a noise. And in their mind, it sounds like horses and chariots. It sounds like an army advancing upon them. And so the natural, the natural reasoning with them is that the Israelites have hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to come and join them, and, and, and we're in big trouble. We better get out of here while the getting is good. Now, there's, listen, there's absolutely no threat whatsoever. You know, when people have a guilty conscience, it's amazing what they'll do. And all of a sudden, they head for the hills. They just, I mean, they left everything. You've got to be desperate to leave silver and gold behind. They've left it all behind. It's all there for the taking. And so here are these four leprous men. <laughs> and they're thinking to themselves, well, we're lepers and we can't go into the city among our people. I mean, they're not going to tolerate that. And besides that, if we get in there, there's no food to eat and so forth. And so, you know, they're trying to reason out in their mind, what are we going to do? And 
And finally, they come to the conclusion, you know, we'd be better off throwing ourselves on the mercy of the Syrians. That's a sad indictment right there against the Israelites. I mean, that's what I make out of it. We've got a better chance over here with the heathen than we do going there into the city among God's people. Kind of like the old saying, you know, Christians are the only ones that shoot their own wounded. And sometimes we're guilty of that. And so they, they, they get up and they decide we're going to go into the city and they get there. Nobody's there. They go into the tent and there's food to eat, water to drink. There's silver and there's gold. I mean, this has been supernaturally supplied. It is suitable for their situation and it is sufficient. They entered into one tent. Notice verse number 8. And carried thence also and went and hid it. And in other words, they've got more than enough to eat. They're hiding it now. They've got their stash, their silver, their gold, their food. And in all of this, it just reminds us, folks, that God can supply our needs regardless of the circumstances. Amen. And, and the emphasis there is on needs because... We don't always get what we want. But I've just got to believe in my heart that whenever we do as the Bible commands, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things shall be added to us. And I, that's a real comfort to me. And I, over the years, you know, as a pastor and struggling with, you know, what if? And anybody that knows me, you know, I've got this deal of always, I don't care what the situation is, well, what if? And I always try to anticipate the problem, and I always suspect that there's going to be some problem or some hidden agenda or this or that. And uh, and so, you know, that's just, I guess, part of my makeup and my, my nature. I'm just suspicious kind of of everything and until I get all of the facts. And so a lot of times, you know, looking down the road and I wonder, well, what if? You know, what if I have a stroke? I had a dear preacher friend many years ago. In fact, he pastored, he's much older than I, and he pastored the same church I pastored in Cincinnati. And uh, one of the daughters especially had just, I mean, never had any time for her dad whatsoever. I, I mean, the poor guy, even whenever he was elderly and 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 widowed and needing help. But he had a stroke one day, and year after year after year, that that woman had to take care of her daddy. And uh, and I thought to myself, you know, what would happen to me? What would happen to my wife if I got in that situation? And every time that the Lord has moved me from one location to another location, and I sure hope and pray and believe that, all of that moving is over now. I mean, my feet are firmly planted right where I'm at for the rest of my life, however long that is. But you do have those questions. And I'll tell you, I cling to God's promises like a life preserver. But my God, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory. And I mean, I just got to tell you, and I mean this, I... I, I fret and worry more than I should about certain things, but I don't worry about that. 
I really don't. I just know God's going to take care of me. And I want you to have that same confidence in your heart. And here is a perfect picture of that. Regardless of how bad it gets in America, you might not have what you want. But you serve God. You stay faithful to God. You'll have what you need. God will see to it, and He never fails. So, here's the problem. Bad problem, severe problem, horrible, and here's the solution. God provided for them in the midst of that terrible problem. Now let's go back again, and I want you to look at verse number 9, 10, and 11. And here I want you to notice the proclamation that is made. And then they said one to another, these are the four lepers, of course, we do not well. Now, wait a minute. I mean, they're doing real good. I mean, they've got food. They've got silver. They've got gold. They're doing fine in that regards. But we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. Listen, this is great news, but notice what happens. And the king arose in the night. Boy, I tell you what, you better be sincere when you got a king up out of bed back in those days. And he said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. In other words, I've got it all figured out. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we will catch them alive and get into the city. In other words, he is suspicious. He thinks this is nothing more than a trap. Now, verse 16. In spite of the unbelief and the reluctance, notice the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shackle and two measures of barley for a shackle. Now, notice this. Maybe you want to underline it in your Bible like I have. According to the word of the Lord... And that takes you right back to verse 1 of chapter number 7 where Elisha predicted this exact same thing was going to happen. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, God used men to make the provisions known to others. He didn't use angels. He, he didn't write it in the sky. Now, God could have done that, right? Right? I mean, he's God. That would have been no problem. God could have just written it up there in the sky. The Syrians have fled. The camp is empty. The tents are full of food, silver, and gold. Go help yourself. That wouldn't have been any problem whatsoever. But instead of doing that, he used men to do it. And notice he used men that had personally experienced God's blessings. I mean, these fellows were never the same after this. I mean, how could you be the same being in that condition, literally starving to death, and suddenly you have all of this bounty before you? 
The people God used are those that have experienced His blessings. Now notice, they're unlikely servants. It says here in verse number 3, four leprous men. Lepers. I mean, they're no good to society whatsoever. They isolate them out there in a leper camp somewhere. If anyone comes anywhere near, they cover their lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! These men are absolutely of no benefit to society, and yet, in the end, these men hold the key to the survival of the people. God can use unlikely servants. Turn in your Bibles for just a moment over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, I, I love this because so many people are so worried about their lack of ability. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, and not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Now, this is amazing to me. Instead of those that are wise and mighty and noble, God says, give me those that are weak and base and despised. And if you're here and you're thinking, you know, I don't have any special talents, I'm not gifted uh, like a lot of people, and you know, maybe maybe you don't have a, much of an education and so on and so forth, and you think to yourself, well, I just could never really be of any great benefit to God. Your availability is much more important than your ability. Because, listen, none of us serve God just by our own ability. It's God that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So you be willing. I mean, discover the will of God and be willing to do it. And I mean, just get involved, jump in with both feet, do exactly what God commands, and God can use you. Now, here's the thing about it that's also very important. Not only were these men unlikely servants, but they considered their lives expendable. Now, don't overlook this. They said, you know, if we go in there, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're going to die. Either way, we're going to die. I mean, we might as well take a shot at it. And it's worth the risk, so to speak. If we go in there and the Syrians kill us, we're just going to die. One of our biggest problems is the idea that in some way we got to protect ourselves. we got to take care of ourselves and so forth. Now, surely God expects us to use common sense. And, and, and fear can be good, for example. I mean, if there's a tornado coming down the road, I'm not one of these fellows going to go out and chase it. It's going to have to find me. I'm not going to go looking for it. So I've heard people say, I'd like to see a tornado. Not me. I don't care about ever seeing one of them. God expects us to use common sense. And if we see a tornado, you ought to, you know, hide somewhere, get out of the path of it. That's, that's true. But at the same time, we need to understand that our life is not all that important. It's what we do with it. 
my, the most meaningful verse to me at this stage in my life, and it's been that way for the last 10 or 15 years, and you know, used to, all of the Christians had what they called a life verse. This was, this was it for them. Well, I've had several at different times in my life, and, but for the last 15 years or so, it's Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, folks, that's what it's all about right there. For to me to live is Christ. To die is going to be gained. We're not going to lose anything by, by, by dying. Listen, that's a promotion. Then we're going to be leaving all of this garbage here in this world. And our attitude should be, for to me, to live is Christ. And, and we need to stop worrying about the cost of discipleship and think about the consequences of not being disciples of the Lord. Their life is expendable. Every successful missionary, every successful servant of God has had that attitude that it really doesn't make any difference what happens to me. All that's important is that I do what God has given me to do. And that's why I encourage Christians to read the biographies of missionaries. You, you ought to do that. You owe it to yourself to do that. And one of the one of the reasons we need to do that is because we've got such a watered down, lukewarm version of Christianity today that we wouldn't recognize the real thing if it came along and slapped us in the face. And it's like somebody said, you've got a backslide to be in fellowship with the average church nowadays. That's about right, folks. I mean, we think we look at ourselves and think, wow, I'm totally dedicated to the Lord. I'll tell you what you do. You read to the Golden Shore the story of Adoram Judson, and you read the story of David Livingston and many other of those missions. Then you come and talk to me about being totally devoted to the Lord. If we want God to use us, we have to come to the place that they had come to, that there are things more important than whether I live or die. There's a job to be done. Now, Notice in verse number 9, they feared disobedience. They said, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. And we're not, in other words, we're not doing right. You ever think about that? I mean, you know deep down in your heart, this is what God would have me do. This is what I need to be doing, but I'm not doing it. They feared disobedience. We do not well this day is a day of good tidings, and, and, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. And I believe with all of my heart, they're thinking to themselves, Look, God in His providence has given all of this to us, and if we keep our mouth shut, if we don't share it, if we don't tell others, some mischief is going to fall upon us. And I think they're exactly right. Amen. What a serious thing it is for us to take and to take and to take and to take from God and then not be willing to share that, as it were, with others. There's just no fear of God among a lot of people today. Now notice they recognize, verse 9 again, the danger of delay. The danger of delay. We, we do not well. This isn't right. That's what they're saying. This isn't right. Just look at what we have. There's a danger in delay. Listen, people are starving. They're eating their own children. And how can we sit here and stuff ourselves 
with other people in that situation. Now, here's the bottom line. God still uses people today. Maybe you never thought about it, but we live in a constant state of emergency. Now, we think about the aftermath, you know, of of 9-11 and things of that nature and the emergency situation. Just had a hurricane, you know, and there's houses to rebuild and so on and so forth, people to feed and all of that stuff. But in reality, we live in a constant state of emergency because people all around us are perishing. They're dying without a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an emergency, folks. And there's no time for delay on our part. We have a message. We have the message that they need to hear. Now, these fellows could have gone in, you know, back to the city and said, you know, uh, we've we've made a great discovery, and we want we want to, we've composed some songs about it. And they could have gone back there and they could have sang their their hymns, their songs to to the Israelites. Or we've written some books about it and it'll, it'll, be, it'll be on the bestsellers list tomorrow. You better get your copy today. The great need was for people to get the news. The news. What, what news? The news. There's food out there. I mean, the Syrians are gone. The threat is over. Just go out there and get it. That's all you've got to do. This is the message the people needed to hear. Now listen, folks. We've got the message the world needs to hear. It's right here. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. People talk about getting involved in the needs of people. And you know, and by that, most of the time, they mean in the social needs of the people. And there's certainly not anything wrong with feeding the hungry and taking care of those that are poor and down and out and destitute. That's well and good. But if we do all of that and we never tell them about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we haven't done them any favor. We've got the message they need to hear, and we can make a difference. Now, listen, we can't do everything, can we? That's pretty obvious. We can't do everything. I'm so glad that as a church that God has positioned us and He has blessed us. That Just like I mentioned earlier tonight in the announcement, that for the first time, now we're able to do some things that we've never been able to do before. That is wonderful whenever you stop and think about it, that God has blessed us to the extent that we can do some things we never did before. But... But we're all smart enough to realize we can't do everything. We can't feed every hungry person. We can't reach every single person on the face of the earth. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And from all of this, we need, we need to just be challenged to do what we can where we are with what we've got. It's like somebody said, you know, sharing the good news is one beggar telling another beggar, where they can find bread. That's true. You remember how it was when you came to Christ? Do you remember the hunger, the thirst, the craving in your heart for something that would really satisfy? Boy, I remember that. I I remember what it was like to be unsaved and desperate. I didn't want to be what I was. I, I, 
I, I desired a change, and I realized that I couldn't change my life, and I just cast myself on the mercy of God and, and experienced that wonderful change that He made in my life. You remember what it was like, the thrill, the, just the joy and the peace. Do you realize that you've experienced something that most of the world knows absolutely nothing about? You've got the message. You can make a difference. They can find the fountain of living water. They can find the, the living bread. And remember Jesus said, if you eat this bread that came down from heaven, you'll never hunger again. If you drink of this water, you'll never get thirsty again. As weak and unable as we are, God can use us to meet the greatest need of other people. I read a story the other day that just moved my heart. It was a story about a, a leper several years ago. And um, this preacher was in a, in a bookstore in London. And he came across this book back on a dusty shelf in a little old bookshop. And, and the author was telling about this loathsome leper. He was old. He was dying. He went to a Leposorian, is that what you call it? Whatever. But it was operated by the Methodist in China. And so somebody told him, you know, if you go there, you can find some room. They will accept you. They'll give you a place. They will feed you. And so in the final stages of his disease, clad in nothing more than a piece of burlap that was tied around him with a string, he went there and they took him in. He didn't have any relatives in the world. And so he goes there and he began talking to the, to the chaplain, a Chinese Christian. And he shared with him the gospel of Christ. And then the chaplain asked him, would you like to become a Christian? And he said, no. And the chaplain said, well, why not? And here was his response. Because you say your Jesus died for me. He gave Himself for me. I have nothing to give Him in return for a gift like that. The chaplain said, Oh, He wants no gift except yourself. And the leper said, But how could He possibly want an ill-smelling, rotten old leper like me? It cannot be. But through the persistence of that chaplain, that leper trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And when he did, he started limping from bed to bed. Now think about it. Get that picture. I mean, leprosy is eating his flesh away. Each and every day, he's limping around to all of the other patients, telling them about the wonderful discovery that he has made in finding Jesus Christ as his Savior. He lived less than two years. During that time, he just slowly, just slowly uh, disintegrated physically. His, he lost his legs. Think of that. Your feet dropping off, your legs gone, and finally both of his eyes literally just decayed in his head. I mean, he's blind. He can't get around. And, and so as he was dying, he called the chaplain to his bedside and and expressed the fact that he felt terrible that he had not done a better job. And here's what he said. When I reached Father's house, 
will Jesus blame me for not getting any more, or will he remember that I was just a rotten old leper? I got only 14. Now, by that he meant that in this two years, I have only brought 14 people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what would happen in this church if every one of us in the next two years, each one of us personally, led 14 people to the Lord Jesus Christ? Think about that. You talk about an explosion. <laughs> we couldn't build buildings fast enough to get them all in here. That'd be amazing. But here is a leper. I mean, this guy is absolutely down and out. How could... How could he be of any benefit to the kingdom of God? He can't get out and go house to house, door to door. He can't travel. He has no means of transportation. He's certainly not an eloquent speaker standing behind the pulpit speaking to a large congregation or anything. He's just an old leper. And finally, his feet drop off and his legs are just nubs now and his eyes are gone and he's still talking about Jesus. Do what you can where you are with what you've got. And here he is on his deathbed concerned about whether that will be enough to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, i got to believe that whenever he stands before the Lord, aren't you glad God's going to give us a redeemed, glorified body? And standing before the Lord, he hears him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I, I read that story and I just, you know, thought to myself, you know, that's what he did. The question is, what am I doing? What are we doing, folks? Those four leprous men, seemingly of no benefit to anyone, and yet they help the key to the future of the people of Israel. And you hold the key in the Word of God for somebody. Their eternal destiny depends on our willingness to go and to tell them of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not delay in getting that message out. Stand with me, please. Heavenly Father, we pray tonight that we might be challenged by the example of these men. Heavenly Father, forgive us of the times that we've had wonderful opportunities and failed to take advantage of it. Forgive us of the times that we've sat down and we have eaten to our full and we have experienced Your saving grace and the, the peace that passeth all understanding the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory and all of those things that we have by virtue of, of a relationship with Your dear Son. God, help us to not be such ingrates that we would refuse to go and to tell others of the wonderful discovery that we've made. And help us tonight, each and every one personally, to make a commitment that we'll do what we can where we are with what we've got. 
and trust you to do the rest. For we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Page 58.